At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT, live on Twitter space, if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you can let me know your thoughts on the new format, and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that is at the Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Practice Spectrum. What does it look like to you and what does it mean to you? Yeah, great question. I mean, ultimately, it's where does your practice activities typically sort of fit? And if we we look at the, the, the continuum within the UEFA-C, the FA-UEFA-C, and I know me and you've shared some of our variations on this, but typically you've got from one end to the other, you've got unopposed practices. Okay, where there's more of an emphasis on isolating the mechanics of a skill or in actual particular, more the technique um, and the components that construct the technique. So it's an isolation of a particular action or multiple actions where there's not necessarily any direct opponent pressure or threat on the ball. And then as you start to transition more towards amplifying what looks like the game, and you're going less around a, a, a technical model shaped and governed by the coach with clear instructions around how to perform said technique, if you like. Then you start to go to the minute that you modify the activity of the game. And in particular, the minute you modify the rules of the game, you know, and, and you include opposition, now you're starting to get towards more skill-related, game-related inquiry-based learning so you've got you've still got practices which can be unopposed but with interference where you know if i was to do anything unopposed there's got to be some kind of contextual interference meaning is there some kind of effect or threat on the ball you know how are you affecting players 
making decisions. So if we're working on, let's say, our passing and receiving as a as an action and keeping the ball, well, if there's multiple balls going within the activity at the same time and there's several players playing in and out of each other without bumping into each other, well, what you've got there is you've got a lot of variations. You've got multiple balls. You've got several stimuluses. Players are having to search information. They're working in maybe their small group of a pair. It could be with a pair. It could be in a group of three or whatever. Depends on the rules of the game and what the objective is and the intention. But if you imagine, if you can imagine an activity where there's multiple balls going at the same time and multiple players passing and receiving at the same time and dribbling, that could be an example where there's not a defender. So it's technically unopposed, but there's interference because I can't perform the action without having to think about when and how I release that ball or run with the ball or interact with the ball. So, you know, that that's some example. And then if you were to go more towards a, a modified game activity, you could potentially create an activity where there's an overload or an underload, or it's equal numbers, which within our UEFA C curriculum, we talk about matchups. So where it could be, you know, your 2v2s, your 4v4s, your 8v8s. Whereas if you were to design an activity that's a 5v3 or a 7v5 or a 4v2 or a, a 2v3, four, those would be examples where there's an overload, there's an underload. So there's pressure on the ball and the game's been modified in some way based on the conditions and the rules and the challenges. Um, but there's more of an emphasis because there is opponents and because there's other factors and there's more numbers now you, there's an emphasis on the actions, the skill interactions with the players. And that would certainly be where, you know, if I was, you know, my preference, and we've had many of these conversations, haven't we, as I'm definitely more towards the sort of right, which would be more overloads, underloads, matchups. It's not to say you can't do unopposed, but if I was, I'd probably do it with some kind of interference. Even when I reflect on some of the unopposed practices that I've done where, you know, I'm working on, uh, you know, taking example with uh, SKC, one of the lads who's currently, he's just been invited up to train with the first team for pre-season. Um, he's a US youth international, uh, plays for SKC2, which is our second team, like he reserves, if you like. Uh, he's a pro, he signed a pro and really, really good player, promising player that's come from the academy. I was doing a unopposed session because it was just me and him. <laughs> so, you know, there's no other pressure on the ball per se initially. But what I did was I had loads of interference because I had uh, goals situated in certain places where he's got to wrap a ball or different type of solution for a cross or a pass linked to his IDP, which, you know, causes interference. Um, and then I gradually did introduce pressure as well, where when one of the servers, like the goalkeeper coach, passed the ball in, he was pressuring from behind us, so it affects his touch. And then I put time constraints and some other challenges, which again influence where then you start to see more mistakes happen because there's a there's a temporal pressure. So again, you can still design unopposed practices, but how are you creating some kind of interference? Is it a moving object? So one of the examples was, again, he needs to work on his a, a right-footed left-back. He can use his left foot very well, actually. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference, um, but just for context... And in that final third, how is he delivering those actions in, in areas where we want him to play into? 
and um, one of the moving targets was the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper coach. So he would be stood in a location with his hands up in the air, ready to catch. And that could be another player working on their IDP of catching aerial balls and attacking those. Um, but then he would move into a different location. So you've got to get your eyes up and see what's happening. That might change your decision whilst trying to do it around obstacles. So there's certain things that you can do, right? Uh, and that would be my sort of understanding. So just in summary for everyone listening, it's the practice spectrum is a continuum. And my question to the group is when you're choosing a practice, an activity, think of an activity, do you have a rationale behind why you, you've gone for an unopposed or more of an opposed practice, you know, based on the player's needs? So ultimately, you're, you're sort of moving the dial, if you like, depending on what it is you're trying to, to work on. That would be my understanding. Yeah, there's a lot in there already, and I'm, and I'm conscious of a couple of key words that you've used there, and I know it's a big one for you. You talk about search, so you know before I kind of weigh in and give my my perspective of the practice spectrum, maybe you could just elaborate on what you mean by search specifically and why you've gone after that word as well. Could you say that word again? Sorry, did you say server? Search. Oh, search. Perfect. So, well, again, it's interesting because ultimately the game is based on decisions. At the highest level, players have to make decisions quicker than the, the speed of thought, right? The, the Over 85% of the information that players... And this isn't me for an answer to this. This is based on research. Over 85% of the information that players receive is through their eyes. Of course, they're getting on information from other senses. But they're constantly having to look for information because it's an invasion sport. So if we start with the basics of what makes the game the game, well, the game is really unpredictable. It's random and it's forever changing because anything can happen, you know. So the, it's an invasion game where we're all contesting this one ball and it's directional in that we've got to score at one end and defend the other. And we've got to find creative ways, creative solutions to be able to, you know, as Paul was talking about last week, he talks about that flow towards the opponent's goal to score more goals than the opposition. That's the name of the game in the simplest form. So because of that, players are constantly having to, you know, decide where the touch is going to go, where they're going to pass. If that ball's travelling, is that something that I want to go and press on or not? Can I or can't I? Because I might have to deal with a runner. So they're constantly having to think. So the reason why search is a key word for me, and it's not, it's no surprise that, you know, linking back to last week, this is one of our, you know, sort of capabilities, if you like. We're, we're constantly looking for players to search for information, useful information, in order to recognise when they need to make a pass, make a dribble, uh, close down, think about their positioning, think about how they're going to move and so forth, or the timing of when they're going to act or not. So that's why, because players... We are constantly having to search for solutions to the to the problems that the game presents. So that's why it's a big word for me. So then in the practice continuum, and if we talk about, you know, uh, research even from Carl Newell and, and some of the stuff I'm doing with my own doctorate, I view learning and practice as search, meaning that we're trying to design environments 
where players have to look for information. Now, if we link that to the practice spectrum, if I'm designing a technical practice where I pass to Yaz and he passes to, you know, uh, Wes, who passes to Dean, but the, we're just doing that around cones or whatever we're doing, do I have to search information to know where the pass goes? No, because the because of the rules of the activity defined by the coach, I already know where the pass is going to go. So I'm not having to look for information to make that decision on whether I should pass or not. But the minute you change or adapt that, modify it in some way, or you add a pressure or a movement where there's variability, now you're getting search. And now you're going less away from technique and more towards skill. To answer your question. Yeah, I just, got, you know, I just want to jump in really quickly on that one there as well, because you talked there about creating an environment where players have to search. And I think it's probably, and I'll throw this at you and, and get your perceptions in it, but I think the better way to look at it for me is actually the players are going to have to search regardless. And the challenge and the question for coaches to think about is, does your environment allow them the opportunity to search? And does it guide them around what they maybe could or should be searching for based on their own ability and, and the capabilities of those around them? So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, you, it's, in a nutshell, you have to. Because the minute, if we isolate something, so if we talk about the practice spectrum, right, let's just be, be honest. So if most coaches probably feel, and this isn't a general statement, this is a fact, by the way, this is from not only my own, experience life experience of working with coaches in in a development environment uh for as a coach educator developer mentor as well as coaching and then also the research data which is decades worth um it's pretty clear that most coaches prefer and typically go into isolated activities why because if they can control it they can see it so perhaps there's an argument that they feel more comfortable giving technical information or feedback in their way, which is drillish and instructional based because they've designed an activity where the player's actions are controlled. You know, they control when the ball goes in, when it stops. They control at the speed at which the activity is running. It's a, it's a, it's a, there's smaller numbers involved. So there's not a lot of searching and scanning for the coach to have to do. Whereas the minute we put them in more game activities, from experience, coaches do typically, depending on their, their sort of competency, do struggle. Because the minute there's more going on, it's, well, now where do my eyes look? What am I looking for as a coach, never mind as a player? And that's where coaches sometimes struggle to, because, you know, it all comes back to what's your philosophy of coaching? And this links to the practice spectrum and, and the question you've asked me. So you bang on, you have to search, like end of, because if your philosophy is you want players to make decisions, which all coaches do at the end of the day, that even the ones who want to control everything, they always talk about, oh, they want them to score goals, want them to pass better than the opposition. You want them to, to win the game and win their own battles. Well, in order to do that, we need to cut ties from the that umbilical cord of the dependency on the coach. And we need to help the players have the tools to, to do it, to, to play the game, to simply play the game. And you can't do that to its fullest form if we're controlling everything and we're isolating everything. Whereas if we're putting them in environments where they have to think, now they're having to search. Now the coach has to decide, 
right, what is it that I'm going to focus on? So if it's, you know, their positioning and the timing, and let's say we're working on that principle of breaking lines or in the FA language, penetration, and we're looking to play forward, we can design an activity with, within a small-sided game or a medium-sized game or a large, but there can be certain challenges where there's a way that the player has to find solutions to do that. Now, all of a sudden, you're going away from sort of technique, if you like, and you're going more towards viewing technique as skill within the activity. So to Yaz's point, search is a is a, a fundamental, it's a non-negotiable, but now it's what's the skill of the coach in guiding the, the search for the player? You know, and that intention, because if we're going to talk about practice spectrum, we have to talk about what makes the activity the activity. Well, is it opposed or not? Is the direction? What's the method of scoring? So there has to be a clear objective in how the players score, right? Whether it's they're playing into a goal, an end zone, a target, whatever it may be. And then is there varied skills taking place? Meaning that if there's if there's different ways that the ball is able to enter into the activity, there's different way you know restart and there's varied sources of information. Now what we're doing is even if, if you take the simplest activity of well it's not simple but if we take a one v one, if the one v one isn't just a classical I run at you, you pass the ball to me and I run at you straight and we're faced up. But if you design that one v one where I'm receiving, but I could start in the grid. So now I'm receiving with pressure from behind or around. Next time it might be from a different angle. Next time it could be, and there's different types of goals where perhaps if I score in this goal, it's worth three and I score in that goal, it's worth one. Now you're creating problems because the defender has to think, right? He has to think, well, if that goal's worth three, do I adjust my body to force him a certain direction more towards the one goal. How do I deal with that? For the attacker, it's all right. Well, how do I get across to the three? But sometimes I might have to disguise and go for the one. If all I can shape up to go towards that goal, it's worth one. But maybe I use a skill or a move of some kind to get to the the goal, the one that's worth more points. So you're creating problems now for players to think. Well, how do you how do you arrive to that, Yaz? As you said, you've got to search. <laughs> There's got to be something in the environment that changes. But if the environment doesn't change, then search is limited. And that's that's it in a simple answer. Yeah, I think you say it's a simple answer, but I think there's so much in there to kind of unpack. Let's you know, let's start right at the top of it. You know, you talk about the unopposed practice and the, uh, the coach maybe feeling more comfortable, but is also maybe an oversight that the coach is considering that the players are going to search and identify the same things that they have as coaches, right? So it's almost recognising that each player is going to search for different things and perceive those same variables that they might both be searching for or not in a completely different way. And we can't rely on the practice just to be able to do that for us. And I think this is a massive topic of conversation around you know, the overall context of this series in particular, preparing for the UAPC licence. Are you prepared for the fact that actually you need to coach and the practice that you've put on might facilitate a certain area of, of the game or you might be going off to specific outcomes, but are you coaching it or are you just putting on a practice to facilitate the learning? And 
if you are just facilitating a practice, how do you know learning's taking place? What are the interventions and, and things you're doing within that? So obviously a massive part of this is, <coughs> apologies, looking at the coach's behaviour and the types of interactions and engagements you're having with the players within it. But I think quite right, like you said, you know, as you move further up the spectrum, there's more, it's, it is effectively, it's just more real, isn't it? There's more variables, but I want to kind of say that to say, just because your practice is, whether unopposed, opposed, or whatever the, whatever the end of the spectrum you want to go down, involve a certain element of the game, doesn't mean it looks like it would in a game, and doesn't mean the players are going to respond to it the same way they would in a game. So as an example of that, if you're going to have um, interference in there, make it clear to the players that actually, yes, this element might not be real, but what are you going after as a result of introducing that interference? If you are going to go down the opposed end of the spectrum, make sure that actually... If you're going to you know, go down the route of maybe putting put constraints or conditions on it, be aware of what limitations that you're putting on the players and their understanding of where this fits in within, within the game. And something I've always talked about, and you know, I'll, I'll drum this home until the cows come home, is that in the context of your session, if the player's not interacting with the variables that exist within the game, in the same way they would in your practice or vice versa if they're not if the, if the variables in the practice aren't the same way they would be presented in a game and don't be surprised if the transference of learning from practice to game isn't quite there now some players might pick it up some players might understand how to connect the dots but don't rely on them being able to piece it together because there's also there's also a danger of depending on what age group you're working with us having a perception that based on the age and stage of the players, or rather more specifically the age, they should know a certain level of information or certain understanding of the game. And that's not always the case, because obviously we have to then look at the players' journeys and what might be right for them. And you made a great point earlier that you were doing an unopposed practice, but actually the context was we didn't really have a choice because it was just you and that one individual player. So it's not to say that we shouldn't be doing unopposed activities, but there's a time and a place, and more specifically for coaches to think about, well, if I'm doing this practice, what's the purpose of it? And why does it fit in with the context of what I'm doing now? And uh, I guess in the most recent observation I can think of is, or reflection I've had, is a fundamental difference between male and female players, as an example. Typically what you'd suggest is that, or what, you, what I've identified and come to find is a lot of female players at younger age groups, they don't typically engage with the game outside of training sessions that they're, they're attending whether that be even just watch it. Many of them don't even watch the game outside of the training sessions and outside of the team they're playing in. So actually, in comparison to that of maybe your stereotypical male player, they're not going to rock down to the local, um, you know, AstroTurf or, or whatever it is with their mates and kick around and have a play, uh, player on with the ball. So actually, they might get less contact time with the ball where it might require a greater element of unopposed activity just to kind of, <coughs> if you like bridging some basic technique but then also be conscious that when you're going down the route of giving them a technique or giving them something to practice that their way might not mirror yours it might not be a replica of what you're asking them to do they might have to make adjustments you know i'm just thinking outside the box now and i've you know i'm i'm, I'm doing some martial arts at the moment and some of the techniques that i'm being asked to practice they're just not going to work for me you know, I'm, I'm getting people trying to put me in headlocks. It's just not working for them because I've got broad shoulders. So they're having to react differently because of me as opposed to if it was maybe against yourself, Gerard. So I think it's just recognising that there will be some fundamental things that we're going after as coaches 
but actually we have to be open and adaptable or adaptable and open rather to the fact that that technique or that way of working might not be beneficial or right for your players specifically so if i link it back to the practice spectrum Gerard, just maybe share with us some some principles or some ideas that you think might be useful for coaches to start to consider if they're not already thinking about them yeah and i, I, I want to piggyback off some of the things The example of me delivering that session the other day with Natty. Sorry, so, George. Out for a brief second. Oh, sorry. So, I was just saying, even if we take that example of me delivering that session with Natty, originally it was meant to be a small group session because, I mean, that's an environment where things change. So, you know, some players might be on loan, some players are injured, some players get called up to the first team last minute. And I was meant to have four or six players that particular morning and it literally changed to one. <laughs> so it's like, what are you going to do now? And you got to think on your feet. And I've, I already had something planned as a what if anyway. And it was me and the goalkeeper coach. So then it's, all right, who's in front of us? And I think that's in the simplest way, even though it's not always super simple. It's, I think with a practice spectrum and all this, you have to think about who's the player in front of us. So to me, that's the first thought of what who is that person in front of us? If I'd have had four or six, it would have looked slightly different. Do you know what I mean? I probably would have designed another activity within the spectrum that was more towards overloads, perhaps. You know, there might have been some interference type activities, but probably would have been more towards a lot of little duels and, and overload underloads. So I think... The first thing is, where where is the player in their journey? Who's in front of us? And then, obviously, what is the intention for the session? Because that's going to influence, uh, and I'll share something in a minute, linked to the planning model for the UA4C. We've got these four areas. So we've got practice design, learning activity. What is it? Where is it? What are the intended outcomes? The, the You talked about this earlier, Yaz, your coach behaviours, and then player engagement. So for that, for any coaches listening, it's ultimately what does the activity look like and the design? How does that fit the individual? What are the intended outcomes that we're going after based on that and some of the constraints you're under? How are you going to adapt your coaching interventions, your behaviour to match and achieve the objectives of the outcomes that you've got set? And what are your engagements going to look like with the players? Who decides on how and when you're, you're applying feedback and and managing the load and things like that how can you engage with the player and co-design with them you know and you gave a good example and this is still key at the sea and i did this where i told the player before here's what we're working on today and i gave him a, a brief synopsis a summary right before but i also gave him choice so i said to him you know we can either start with this or this which one would you want to do and he immediately went i want to start with this activity first we can do that at the end okay and then we, in this activity, we'll look at these loads, these outcomes. What do you think? Okay, brilliant. Actually, I really need to get better at this. Can we build that in some way? Okay, what I'll do is I'll modify. We'll work for three minutes on this activity, one minute here with X number of rest, whatever, and then I'll build in this. It's a straight player, but they feel like they're a part of it. Before uh, uh, pretend, we, I mean, I'm finding ways to involve them in the design because ultimately we're, we're there for them. So... I think when we link it back to the, the practice spectrum, all the time it's, well, does this activity, the type of the practice, 
achieve the intended outcomes that we want. And if it doesn't, we might have to change something. And that then you're you're obviously looking at where on the spectrum you know you're going to. And then to answer your question, I do think players want to know the why. They're all the time they want to know what's the relevance to me and why. So when we take about their game, it's ultimately well, what does their game look like? And I'll give an example. I was watching a session um, yesterday, no Thursday, and the coach had too many players on the field. He could have done it slightly differently, and he had multiple fields available in terms of indoor space. But my question to him was: His team plays seventy-seven, so that's their large-sided, if we view it that way. But they're currently doing futsal. They're playing indoors because of winter, and they're playing. They're not playing seventy-seven until March, and the last seventy-seven game wasn't until November. From December and January and up to Feb, they're playing futsal, which is obviously five v five. So, my thing would be everything we do, their large side of game is obviously five v five. So, if he's got six players or eight players or whatever on the pitch. They aren't seeing the pictures that they're likely to see in a game. So to your point, Yaz, is that transferability straight away is potentially you could argue potentially it's going to be missed. But if he modifies the activity to look like some of the scenarios that the players are likely going to see, whether in those three v threes or four v fours or whatever, that will relate more, and even little two v twos, that will relate more to the format that they're playing in and the type of situations that they're playing in. So I think that's where we've got to try and consider of where is the the sort of environment, what does it look like for the players, and then how we fit in the activity to them, and not the, necessarily the other way around. Whereas I think in years past, perhaps it's very much, here's what we're doing regardless, and we're going to throw it down your throat, and that's it. Whereas now, and, I, and certainly with the new UEFA C, it's very much... How can we create a, a continuum of learning? But we're really thinking about, hey, I likely get 10 players that arrive tonight and we're struggling at this, but we're really good at this. But Yaz still needs to get better at this. How am I creating an environment that's going to facilitate those outcomes and, and achieve them? So, yeah, there's, there's probably a lot there, but these would be my initial thoughts. And again, you know, we this leads in great into the webinar that we've got on Thursday, uh, sorry, Friday. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we'll unpack this more. So with the webinar, we're going to go into and give examples of the practice spectrum and within the whole part whole and the capabilities and the the core moves. How do you achieve that within a session? But then also creating lots of interactive scenario-based activities for coaches who sign up to the webinar. So irrespective, uh, so Thursday, sorry, irrespective of where you are um, in your journey, whether you've passed your UA for C, just passed it, about to go on to the UEFA C or looking to, even if you're at UEFA B or whatever, it's still a great opportunity to look at what does the environment look like and then how am I developing some of these actions. So just want to share that. And again, you know, love to get thoughts, Tony, 
always a, an active contributor. You know, you've taught I mean, hundreds and hundreds of courses and you've seen it go from the old prelim to the level one and level two to seeing some of the stuff that it is now and 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 coaching it for a long time or anyone else in the room, you know, feel free to share your thoughts and challenge or ask questions or add any any comments. You know, we'd love to get your thoughts. Just just while we'll... before people jump in, I don't know if there's anything from you, yeah. Yeah, just before I dive in with that, maybe just give a brief insight around how people can access the CPD hours off the back of this um space as well. Yeah, so I'll share a link uh, shortly where it's just a self-reflection form. And if you're looking to add this as CPD uh, to get the points, then you simply complete the information, which is your name, your fan number, and uh, your key takeaways from this session. And that'll uh, give you eligibility for up to one hour CPD. And of course, you can listen back to the, the previous modules prior to the end of this month. Um, at which point, you know, Yaz and myself will be forwarding the information of those who've completed uh, and engaged in the relevant tasks and an event, and then that information will be uploaded uh, shortly to the to everyone's fan profile. It gets shared first with Middlesex FA, who we're working through, and then that will get shared to the to the national platform. Definitely. Just to give a bit of a heads up on that as well, guys, the deadline for any CPD um, that we put through this month. Um, for the past bases, this one and the one that we're doing next week as well, um, in terms of the webinar. Deadline is 28th of Jan. So if you once you've done that, please bear with us. Take about three to four weeks to get you to get your fan up, updated. And if, um, if there's any issues after that, please do let us know as well. Uh, but just to kind of pick up on some of the bits that you said there, Joe. Well, while if, you know if anyone's got any questions, they can feel free to raise their hands and jump in as well. But um, I think the key thing for me is just understanding that going into the practice especially you might have an idea of what you want to do and what, what what it looks like and why you've got it and i think that's probably the biggest piece it's understanding why you're going to do it the way that you do it um one of the key things for me and for coaches to really think about is you've got to think about the amount of space and and, and, and uh, that you have as well what can you do in that space that you can keep it realistic and it might not always be based on the geography of the pitch or the spaces that you're working in in your sessions it might be that actually you've only got access to a a 20 by 30 grid or a 20 by 30 pitch or whatever that might look like, how do you make it relevant? And do you actually need to utilize every single inch of the space? Is it relevant for the players if you do? Um, just consider that just because you're working on a concept, and if, you know, if the areas aren't appropriate, if the distances aren't appropriate, if the pressure's not appropriate, are you really getting the outcomes that you're hoping to get? And more specifically, do the outcomes really marry up with what they might experience on a match day? Um, and then understanding that, you know, throughout that, I think the first thing is, is to be informed of is, is what are the messages that you're trying to get out? Because I think if you have a clear idea of what the messages are that you want to go after within each session, not necessarily because of how you want it, how you want to see it done, but more specifically what the outcomes are the players are going after, you get to a point where actually you can be more flexible and adaptable based on numbers. You can be more flexible and adaptable based on the space and area size that you might have. You can be flexible and adaptable on what it might look like for your players within the practice. You might recognise that some players might need a bit more unopposed work and some players actually, they need a little bit more pressure than just being matched up. They might need, they might need to be underloaded. You might, you, know, you, might, you might divvy up your teams in a way where you've got some of the stronger players on the weaker, you know, on the, on the, on the underloaded team as opposed to some of the players who maybe 
could benefit from having an overload or an extra passing option available to them. But I think one of the key things I'd also throw in there as well that you know you mentioned there about Tony, you know, going through different versions of the course and been around for a while, and I think it's important to understand that. In, pre in preparing for the UEFA C, yes, we've got the practice spectrum, but fundamentally what we're really looking at is whether it's unopposed, whether it's unopposed of interference, whether it's um, matched up, overloads, whatever name or term you utilise to kind of label the practice, it doesn't really matter. As long as you understand is that there's different ways in which it can be done and those ways should be fundamentally dictated and influenced by the needs of your players. So how well do you know your players within that? How well do you know that actually Gerard might need a bit more time on the unopposed work? Actually, could we could we could, could we could do both side by side? It might be a you know I've got a mate of mine who does um, who utilizes an unopposed element outside of a game along the side, and he calls it the lab. You know, is there is there something that you've identified within the game itself that we're struggling with from a, when they're opposed? That actually, you might want to pull them out and do some unopposed work with them, and then throw them back in. So, I mean, there's so many different ways you can kind of skin the cat, if you like. But I think it's important for us to get to a point where we identify what the key messages are and let that guide your practices rather than saying, well, I want to do it unopposed, but then I want to move it to opposed. And, you know, you know, you talk about this a lot, Gerard, in the, in, you know, over in the US in particular, you've got, you know, the, the whole format of play, practice, play. Obviously, over here, we you know, refer to that a bit more of a whole part of whole and understand even if you go down the whole part of whole route, why are you going that way? What are you hoping to see? What are your observations? Where you know where are you looking to guide your attention and be conscious that where your attention goes is not necessarily where your player's attention goes. So how do you get to better understand what that looks like? So linking back into the planning model when you talk about coaching behaviours and player engagement, how are we getting players engaged throughout the practice, regardless of what it is? What does our behaviour look like to make that happen for different players in different ways? So just a few things from me on that. Um, Tony, over to you, mate. Good evening. How how's it going? He's still on mute, tone. Sorry, guys. My uh, my volume cut out when uh, when you gave me permission to speak. Uh, nice to be back with you all um, in the new year. Just a couple of points off off the last little bit, and, and I think it's important that I acknowledge. Um, what Gerard was saying there in, in terms of, you know, I, I did, I used to uh, tutor on the old level ones, the old level twos. Um, I, and I did my, my own coaching badges under a, a different system. I really have no idea what this new UFC looks like. I'd be, I'd be quite interested in, you know, jumping on some local days just so that I get an idea of it. But, but the point that Yaz is making um, about, Restricted spaces, um, realistic practice—that that you know—that sits really well with me because the the reality of it is, under the old system, we would we would give out a practice. We would also give out the dimensions a lot of the time, whether it be ten by ten, ten by twenty. Um, but the reason for those dimensions that were given out at the time was because they related to the expected size on the pitch. If you were in a two v one attacking situation, for example, now I'm sure that the course looks really different, and I would hope that there's a bit more flexibility given. You know, the the, the team that I'm working with currently, we don't have the luxury of a, a sixty by forty, for example, to play six v six. 
but I might still have 14 players or 12 players at training. So you, the real world dictates what you can and can't do as far as the, uh, as far as the practice spectrum goes, I guess, is my point. Yeah, and I think it's a great point, Tom, because you know, I think one of the other considerations to make there is even if you did have a 60 by 40, don't fall into the trap of just using it because it's there. And I think it's so, it's so important for coaches to understand, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is the practice that I'm utilising? What am I hoping to get out of it? And does it relate to the players and their needs of their game? And like, you know, like using, using the example that Gerard gave earlier, his players are playing 5v5. Or if they're expected to play 7v7, how, how is the 5v5 contributing to what they're going to do? Can they still get messages out? And I think one of the key things that comes back for me when it comes back to UA4C in particular is just an understanding and appreciation that it doesn't matter what format you're playing. It doesn't matter whether you're playing football or futsal. The fundamental goal of the game is the same. I'm trying to penetrate the opposition in order to try and get a goal-scoring opportunity to potentially transfer that into a goal. The opposition is trying to stop you from doing it and vice versa when they've got the ball and I haven't. And I think we need to keep that at the forefront of everything that we do and understand that although we might work along this practice spectrum, or although we might have different themes that we go after, it needs to start with an understanding that we're, we're working towards the game principles. We are trying to do this and we're not trying to isolate it out because if you isolate it from the from that principle itself, in it, it just... It just becomes unrealistic. It's not relevant. And I think that's the key thing I want to go after and really really highlight on that. Tony, I'm conscious you just unmuted yourself, so go for it, man. Yeah, no worries. Um, I, th I think you're, you're absolutely spot on. And again, that point about the game being, the game never changing, whether you're fo playing football or futsal, was something that I meant, I spoke to a lot of people about. Like, I was over in the States last weekend for the, for the US soccer coaches convention uh, and it was it was refreshing really uh, i guess to see that the majority of the practices that were delivered whether it was by coaches working in in the british game coaches working in the american game um, an italian coach from inter milan the the best practices the most effective practices that were put on were the the simplest ones there was nothing overcomplicated. They didn't try to be too clever. Uh, and the one or two practices that I watched, uh, which broke down, were, were either because the person that was delivering almost got his excuses in early. It was, All right, this, for this practice, we should really be working on a full-width pitch. But I think the area was maybe 50 by 40 or potentially 60 by 40. Um, and it didn't work and he got a little bit frustrated with that uh, and a little bit frustrated because, again, a point that you've made earlier on, he didn't know the players and, and they weren't actually capable of of delivering what he wanted. He wasn't working with the players. He had a session to deliver um, and he was just, I thought he was banging his head against a brick wall. And that's a trap that we don't need to fall into as coaches. We know our players. We know what area we've got to work with. And if your practice design 
doesn't take all of that into consideration, then ultimately you will fail your players. I think I think you're spot on, Tony. I think just to kind of build on that further, it's recognizing that if he was going after key messages in that practice rather than thinking about going after the practice specifically, the outcome would have been completely different whether he knew the players or not. And I think that's the key thing, right? If you know what you're going after as a key theme or key message and what that might look like to you as, a, as an individual, you'll, I guess in some ways, be aware of what the variables are that which can impact on that. And then, you know, full circle, round back to Gerard's point about search. If you're aware of the variables that exist within it, you've got a, almost a framework <clears throat> to kind of observe from in terms of what you're looking out for, what what's actually influenced the player's ability to perform in this in this moment, and then subsequently you can then share and guide and delve in around. Well, are they considering the same variables that you are? And if so, how are they perceiving those variables? Go on, Gerard. Let's hear what you got. And we're going to beat you. <laughs> No, I just as I'm listening to both of you and, and Tony's point, it just made me think how many of us and a lot of people, as Tony said, will fall into this trap of design stuff and then we're instantly looking to get our excuses in. So to me, it just made me think straight away. And it's funny, I was actually reflecting on um, a session that someone did on a course and was blaming the players being not good enough or not at the level. But then the person that delivered after him, this is one I was at recently, some, probably similar to Tony. Same players, session was a rock star. So I just think it's so easy to for coaches to say the players aren't good enough or this or area or whatever. But to the point that was made was that actually, let's look at ourselves first. And that's a big part of the UEFA C and a lot of the courses now. It's that self-reflection, that self-awareness, you know, Instead of, it's that old expression, isn't it? There's one finger pointing out, but there's three pointing back. Can you look at yourself first? And I probably think we need to spend more time on that and actually be be okay with it not going to plan. Because we always talk about so much this forensic, detailed planning. But I think a good sign of a good coach is also the ability to observe if something's not quite working, how do you change it? And don't keep hitting your head against a brick wall and then getting frustrated with it. But actually, can you go, all right, what do I need to change within the environment? Take a step back to, to make this work better. And it could be simple number change. It could be a rule change. It could be something. And it comes back to that step principle, doesn't it? But I, I think it's also okay to go in and change things or not stick to your session plan. Because sometimes things may have to change. So you can still achieve the outcomes that you originally set, but we might have to go about it in a different way. Because the one thing we've got to factor in, among other things, is that these players are different. And every time they come to our environments, we don't necessarily know everything, do we? In terms of it could be, are they on it or not? Are they focused or not? How can we get them more focused? Is this something that they find fun? You know? Is it something that, because I remember watching a session years ago and I've, I've stolen this and used this where a coach talked about defending and he worded it as we're working on counter-attacking. And I just thought it was a great way, Yaz. He was like, we're working on counter-attacking today, so we're going to find ways that we we'll recognise triggers that when we get it, 
to win it back and how can we force them into a position where we can regain the ball or intercept. But when we do that, we're looking to, to score a quick goal. Straight away, the kids are like, oh. Now, what they didn't realise was they were doing a lot of defending. And there was loads in there, by the way. And he was he drilled them a little bit. But for them, they were like, fun session, we're working on counter-attacking. So I just think there's certain things that we can spin as well. Before I'd add that in, sorry. Yeah, just, just on that, Joel, you mentioned there about the step principle. Maybe just delve a little bit deeper just so people have got a bit of context of what you're referring to. Yeah, so you've got, there's a, there's a tool that we can use, whether it's, um, Tony mentioned this as well. Um, oh, sorry, Tony, you got your hand up. Do you want to jump in? Yeah, well, yeah, I just think that it, for those of us of a certain age, you'll remember um, phases of play and functional practices. So going back right. to the example that I spoke about with this, the, the, the German guy who was putting on the session last weekend, if, and I don't know whether these uh, practices were done abroad, I'm just going to assume that they are. You remember the old practices where if you, if you want, if you didn't have the room, so I'm, this guy had his pitch, if he'd have ended the pitch by the far post, so move the goal out of the middle, put the goal on one side of the pitch and, and cone off maybe two yards behind the far post, and, and this alludes to the step principle, he could have got his session to work but he would have done it with one set of or half of the set of players. So, for example, he could have worked with two strikers, two central midfield players and a left midfield player, been off the right midfield player, been off the right back or put them in opposition. So in, he could have done the same practice in three quarters of the space. Now, there might be some coaches that are listening that are not as experienced and haven't seen that type of practice before, but that kind of touches on um, on the step principle. Adjust the space, adjust the time or the task, um, and, and work with what you've got. You couldn't have said it better than myself. That's perfect. Awesome, because that's exactly it. So every just listen to what Tony described there. Because if everyone takes that, you've got how are you modifying or adapting to the space that you've got? Um, talked about task, equipment, people, safety. I mean, obviously, safety is a big one, and often it gets overlooked. But I mean, the the people thing is you just talked right there, Tony. Been off this player, been off that player. If I, if I'm not, they're not primary to whatever it is I'm working on. Who are the focus players that I need to work on? So, yeah, brilliant. I don't know if there's anything you want to add on to that, Yaz, or I think Tony said it quite well. Yeah, I think it's just um, understanding that different sizes of areas will bring different outcomes. Um, so utilise them. Be specific about what they, what, what, what space you want to use and why. Um, and, and like I said, you know, don't just because you've got the space don't mean you have to use it. And just because you don't have the space doesn't mean you still can't get your outcome. So just be try and be a bit more strategic around what it is that you're actually going after and what actually influences it in terms of how much space you got. And I think in terms of that ta- that task and that time piece, the time piece, and this is where to you know bring it back to the practice spectrum is how much time are you spending on each area of the spectrum if you're going to work across it. You might not even work across it. And if we got, I think long gone are the days where the traditional kind of approach to it was let's go unopposed, let's go opposed, and then move into a game, right? And I think it's understanding that it doesn't really matter which way you do it. It's just understanding the rationale as to why you're doing it, the way you're doing it, how much time you're going to spend on it, what's the purpose of it. And I think being a bit more critical and, a, and a reflective around whether it's actually working for your players or whether it's just 
the plan that you want to go with. Go for it, Jared. Yeah, the only thing I wanted to add there, just thinking out loud at the time, is, you know, we often don't talk about it, but, you know, I know it's heard a lot, less is more and things like that. The more I've, I've, I've gone through this, the more I've realised that how are we just filling space or are we actually making an impact? Because, you know, I've seen some coaches run a session where they've only had 40 minutes or an hour, but it's been brilliant, top class. And then 90 minutes, sometimes we're just, like you just said about how long are you spend on this activity versus this activity and what have you. And for me, can you, if we're talking about time, really go after the time that's well spent. So the more we can spend in game type activities, modified or a full game activity experience, the better for the players and make sure that we're, we're not doing too much within our sessions you know, going back to the point that was made from Tony, I believe, where he said some of the best practices he saw were the simplest ones. And it's just actually, can we create that continuum of learning for them? And it might, there's nothing wrong with spending time in the same activity for a little bit longer and modifying it slightly. I've done a lot of this recently where I've had, like we all have, I'm sure, you've got your arrival activity, you've got your, your next bit, you might have three or four different things, you know, planned. But it could also be a lot and versus trying to do lots, but nobody gets really anything, it just becomes overload. Actually, could it be that maybe I just spend time on on these two real core activities? And that's probably where whole part whole comes in as well as a good useful tool. Is to start playing, you're finding ways to simplify the bigger that bigger part, the bigger game or a smaller number, and then you're finishing on a game. So if we think about for the players, are we are we we're trying to create opportunities where we're not overloading them? where it's like, hey, a bit like school. You imagine you go to school and I don't know how they do it. And it's got English, science, maths, this, that. And they've got all these lessons in a day. And you come home and you say, hey, so now how was it today? What did you learn? Don't know. Because <laughs> to be fair, they've been battered with lots of different topics. Well, perhaps we shouldn't do that in our sessions. And we should actually think, you know what? I'm just going to go after one thing tonight. And really make sure that's a fun experience and keeps them coming back, you know. And that, I just want to finish on that note because, from my end, if, unless there's something you want to add, because part of the UEFA-C is, can we develop a love for the game? And that's where you know, not trying to, you know, end on a sad note, but it's we definitely don't want to be their last coach. We do not want to be their last coach. So making sure that they come here to play, <laughs> not coming to the to the session to listen to us talk at them they want to play the game so create opportunities where they can play the game yeah I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head and I, you know, I think it's just the message in there for me is what are we doing to actually be impactful in a positive way for the players um, and more specifically look at right am I actually having an impact and if so, what does that look like? And I think that, you know this is where, we're, as as coaches, we can't be we can't be content with just delivering a plan that we've put together, or being upset if our plan doesn't go to uh, go to plan, if you like. And it's just actually, and I mentioned this today on the course actually. And sometimes you might be ten minutes into your session and realize actually the plan I had has got no no benefit to the players today. So let me just scrap that and go with what they need because I've seen something different. Uh, and I think that it's just having that openness and willingness to accept that you know sometimes your plan has to go out the window 
because I've seen players might need a bit of this today. And it could be for multiple multitude of reasons, right? And it might not even be the whole group. It might be certain individuals within the group that whatever you've planned for them, it's just not, it's just not going to work because maybe they've had a bad day or they're not there right mentally. So let's just put them in a game and try and, again, coach it through the game. And I think the key thing is, is that you're only able to do those things if you're understanding of what the key messages that you're going after, as opposed to what the practice should look like. Um, so, yeah, that'll be the final piece for me. So, Joe, maybe just to, again, just a reminder on how BP. Yeah, so I'm going to share a link. I'm going to share a link now uh, in the chat where you can access the self-reflection form. So when you complete that, you, again, like I mentioned before, just your name, uh, the space that you've done today, which is focusing on the practice spectrum. And then there's a question at the end, and it's just for people to listen in to say, you know, what are their key takeaways? Or it could even be what's, what questions have you got? Because there might be stuff where it's like, actually, we haven't answered this question or I've got a really good thing here. Put that in the chat. And that also prompts us guys to, to come back to you and we can respond to you because um, we want this to be engaging. And a lot of this is really about developing this community, sharing ideas to elevate our game and, and keep talking, keep the conversation going. So we don't want it to just be, you know, one off. We, we can do this post uh, session today as well. So I'll share that link with everyone. And then you're good to go. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's anything else from, from Tony or anybody else, if they want to add anything or ask anything or you guys. Yeah, just a final thing for me, really, guys. You know, obviously, we're, we're here um, doing these spaces on a weekly basis, you know, running several different series of um, themes and webinars and whatnot. Keep engaging with us. Let us know what you want to hear. Let us know what you want to talk about. Let us know if you've got any questions. And I know I'm conscious that not everyone is able to or is confident enough to kind of step up and, you know, take the mic, so to speak. But, you know, if you've got any questions or if you've got anything that you want to kind of have shared with us or discuss further, then please do let us know. Go, Joe. Sorry, mate. I've actually got one last one for us as we wrap up. You've just done um, the UA for Seven this week, Module 1, right? What was your big takeaway? If you could give any anything for anyone listening, what would be your big takeaway? Um, yeah, for you, uh, great question. I think it's just coaches getting used to the idea and accepting the fact that in many in many cases you probably haven't been doing much coaching and you're probably much more of a facilitator. Um, and I think just to kind of build on from that, be conscious and be aware that if you are a coach in a particular environment where you've got others around you um don't be satisfied with them just them just people telling you your sessions are good inquire why they believe they're good inquire why they think they're good because in many respects a lot of people that might be on this call or another calls in the, in the future You'll be involved in environments where sometimes you can be viewed as the most competent person in the environment as a coach. Therefore, that in itself brings its own kind of superiority and kind of hierarchy of what to expect or what to what to respect better yet in the environment. And you're often never challenged. Um, so yeah, next time someone tells you your session went well, try and get some clarity on, on why. That'll probably be the biggest takeaway for me for people to think about off the back of... Um, the most recent course that I've delivered. Love it, mate. Great stuff. Well, I'm sharing the link in the chat. Uh, really appreciate everyone coming in today. And again, it's great. You know, looking forward to 
of the webinar this next week. Awesome. Guys, thank you again for joining us this evening. Keep an eye out for what we're doing. Make sure you're following us. Get in touch if you want to hear anything specific or if you've got any questions off the back of our spaces or in the build-up in the build up to our webinar. Have a great evening and hopefully we'll see you on Friday or Thursday better yet. Joe, you got me making the wrong, wrong day. I know, I'm all over the place. Thursday. <laughs> Thursday night, guys. Take care. Great evening. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.